Hello and God bless you. This is Pastor Jeremy and what a delight to be with you on this Tuesday, February the 2nd of 2021. We are so happy to uh, to come before you you all today along with my brothers, uh, Brother Marty and Brother Fernando. It's always a, a, a joy uh, to study the Word of God. Nothing much, nothing better than this. And we're so glad that you could join us today. We'd like to welcome you uh, to this podcast, wherever you are tuning in from. Uh, we consider it a privilege and an honor to have your presence with us in this hour and to be able to take out of your time to study the Word of God with us. Uh, yesterday, we, um, we began a tremendous study on the book of Revelation, and throughout the uh, podcast, uh the the studying of the word we 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 stood over an hour in just in four words that's how deep um this book is and so i'm looking forward to what god has for us i was able to uh this morning to listen to it again and even glean even more things from our study yesterday so brother marty we are excited to continue to unveil what we believe god is, has left for us right and yeah. this book that is has been so mysterious. Many are afraid to, to read it. Others uh, have not read it correctly. But I believe, and you said something, that it is for this time. You alluded to that. It is for this time that God has left it for this generation to bring forth the unveiling of, of, of what God, uh, because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, amen, that was given yeah. unto him. And we got into that, and it was powerful. So I'm excited. I pray that uh, the listener, you have your Bibles, you have your notes, as we get ready to study the Word of God together. So, Brother Marty, I'll leave it to you to share what God has placed in your heart as we discuss and study the Word of God together. Well, praise the Lord. Looking forward to part two of the revelation of Jesus Christ. We hope you're enjoying these studies that we've begun as we continue going forward we're going to get right into the Word of God today, and, and we're going to come at it from a different perspective. As I was seeking the Lord uh, early this morning, uh, the Lord began to pour into my heart uh, concerning this first chapter <clears throat> and to uh, to look at particular things today uh, that, uh, you know, that we need to look at as we feel led by the Spirit, all within the first chapter. But it's going to be from a different kind of perspective. Uh, maybe you know thing that you've ever heard before in the way that it's going to be presented we're going to be going back and forth in different sections as we continue this week on this first chapter of the book of revelation but today we're going to jump forward and look at something that i think is going to uh to challenge your heart and bless you and and also bring further uh depth of understanding as we continue to go forward we're pretty much going to go through the whole chapter today overview wise but we're going to zone in on on when the lord uh reveals himself to john and we're going to look at it from that perspective and see some incredible things i think um that uh, will challenge us and encourage us as we continue to explore uh these uh these studies that we're doing now so <clears throat> brother jeremy i'm just gonna have you read one scripture to start with and if you have your bibles we're going to begin with revelation chapter one uh, verse 10, and we ask the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to open the scriptures by his spirit for the glory of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. 
in Jesus' name. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, Brother Jeremy. Amen. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard him and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and I heard a great trumpet behind me. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to dig into the meat of the study right from that point. But, <clears throat> but first, as we explored yesterday in verse 1 through 3, we never really even got through that, kind of highlighted some things. And, and we are going to return back to there. There are several things that, that are pointed out there as keys going forward. And as we talked about yesterday, verse 1 through 3 is basically John's uh, introductory comments of an experience uh, that he's already have had, but there's something really interesting uh, when he gets to verse three. Let's just look at that real quick. Could you read that in verse three, Brother Jeremy, uh, what John says in verse three? Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. And, and thus we come to the conclusion of John's opening statement, the time is at hand. And, and as we explored yesterday, what Jesus was basically saying, and these things must shortly come to pass, he was defining a specific moment in the far-flung future. Uh, when he talked about uh, these things must shortly come to pass, he was indicating that there was a set and fixed time that was going to be realized in the distant future. But when that time would come, that what would transpire, which is being revealed to us in the book of Revelation, would happen very quickly and over a short space of time. This is what John is, is writing to us. And he talks about how he bore record of the word of God. We talked about the Logos, the testimony of Jesus, all the things that he sees, which we'll discuss uh, in, in the coming days. We'll dig deeper into that particular aspect of chapter 1. But I just wanted to point out the three things that he says here. Uh, Blessed is he that reads. Uh, they that hear the words of this prophecy and those that keep the things that are written therein. Uh, that kind of sets the tone because he's not just talking about just casually reading the word of God. In verse 3, when he directs us to, uh, you know, he that reads, that word or read or readeth is the Greek word anaginosko. That's how you say it, anaginosko. Literally what he's saying is the ones that are blessed are those that read it, or anag ingosko, what that means is to be able to distinguish, to recognize, to acknowledge, and to accurately understand. That's a mouthful, right? But but it, it really blows away what we've casually heard in the churches for many years, if they even talk about the book of Revelation. When they read this verse, it's, oh, you're about to have a blessing because we're reading it. You're hearing it, right? So you're going to have a blessing. That is not what he's saying here. He's again drilling down into a specific group of people. Verse 1, as we went over yesterday, he said that it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show to his servants. And we talked about the, the, what the word servant meant. It meant the relinquishing of one's will to the will of another, a particular category of people, basically his true church. They are his true servants. They are those who have made the conscious decision to relinquish their life into the hands 
of Almighty God into the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and it is a category that places a demand on our walk before God. But what comes with it is the unlocking of deeper levels of understanding what the will, the purpose, and the ultimate unfolding of the expression of this prophecy that we're beginning to dig into. It's a category. They are the ones who have become the bond servants, voluntary uh, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, a surrendering of anything outside of the house of the Lord. In other words, they don't just show up and clock in and then clock out at the end of the day and return back to their families. No, they bring them their self, their life, their families, everything they are into the household of God. They are the servants of the Lord. And so it's with that same kind of understanding that when we get to this where he says, blessed is he that reads, he's really addressing those that have that quality of absolute surrender. And to them, the ones that are blessed are the ones who are able to distinguish what is about to be said. So he's talking about skill level in the spirit. This is very uh, important to understand. It's why many times we go to the Word of God in the book of Revelation, if you've tried or attempted to over the years, and, and it's just so confusing. You, you kind of see things, and then you don't really understand what's going on. Well, there's a reason for that, and John is unlocking it here. He said those that are, are the blessed ones are first identified as servants, and then he goes on to reveal the skill level that's ministered to us. Those that read are those that are able to be taught by the Spirit and developed by him so that they have the ability to distinguish and recognize accurately the patterns, the symbolism, and the unfolding um, expression of the Logos or the Word of God as it's being given to us here in the book of Revelation. So that's the first component that is necessary. (laughs) Again, I emphasize it's a skill level. It's an impartation of the Holy Spirit. It's a working of God within our hearts and our minds. It's meditative process. It's not just simply reading the book from chapter 1 to chapter 22. It, 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 it must be accompanied with that development of the Holy Spirit to accurately discern. That's really what's written there in, in, in that, in that uh, phrase, blessed is he that reads. So we can say it again, blessed is he that's able to distinguish, to recognize, to accurately understand, and to know and acknowledge what's being revealed. Secondly, he goes on to say, <clears throat> uh, blessed is he uh, that readeth and they uh, that hear. And, and, and the word hear is basically that word that, that means to accurately distinguish what you're hearing. It means to be endowed. Listen, it, it comes from the word aku which is where we get the word in English, acoustic, sound. So when he says, uh, blessed is he that reads, he then goes on to them that hear. It's not just simply hearing the words. He's actually revealing, again, a further development of the spirit. It means to be endowed with the faculty of hearing and also to attend and to consider what is being said. So when we... Just, you know, step back from that and and then begin to understand what John is saying to us, because he's really, uh, you know, dictating to us what he heard from the Lord himself, right? Uh, He's saying, listen, 
uh, it's going to require these qualities of spirit before we even get into the balance of what I'm about to reveal to you. And it must be so, brothers and sisters, understand that we've entered that age. We know from Scripture that we come into the time identified as the end time where what has been locked and hidden will be unlocked and it will be given to the wise as it was described in Daniel chapter 12, right? And all the things we've discussed many times as it pertains to that. So what we're seeing in verse 3 is, is further information being given to us in order to instruct us as to how we must begin to approach our own spiritual quest in the development of our ability to receive from God. So by using the precise words that he's using, it should somewhere in that, you know, whole description, him that reads, him that hears, and he that keeps the words that are written therein, it, it is to alert us to reflect on whether there are deficit positions within our own self. Am I missing any of these qualities? Because before I go further, in other words, then I should come to God in my prayers, in my meditations, in my communion with God, understanding, you know, the, the requisites that he lays out here. Where am I deficient, spiritually speaking? Am I able to read from the perspective of, of accurately being able to distinguish what's being revealed by the Spirit? Do I recognize pattern, symbol, the way that God expresses himself? Can I accurately understand and know and then acknowledge what God is actually saying? Now, if I can't do these things, then I need to go to God and ask him to help me be developed in those areas so that I can uh, go forward and, and, uh, and fully uh, receive into my spirit and soul what it is that God's trying to express to me. All of this is interactive between us and the Lord. All of this requires effort and diligent seeking. And so that's why he began with, this revelation is for my servants, right? So the servant has to always be, uh, which is all of us. I'm not trying to, you know, be a sectarian here, right? But this is all of us. And so we're being challenged by the Spirit to approach him and ask for these specific things, to be brutally honest with ourselves when it comes to our spiritual giftings or shortcomings and say, can I really come to the word of God? Am I able to distinguish? Am I able to recognize? Am I able to hear? Have I been endowed with that faculty of hearing uh, to attend and to consider what is being said? So these are two component categories that John is adding to us before he even breaks into everything that he's about to reveal. He's telling us, continue to develop these abilities. The ability to recognize, the ability to hear. Now, what's interesting about here is it comes after reading, right? So <clears throat> this tells us that the the ability to read is 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 that ability that is developed by the Spirit so that we can distinguish and recognize. But that gives into the next thing, which is the ability to hear the words. Isn't that what it says, Brother Jeremy? Can you read that? Verse 3. Yes. Yes. It says, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. Yeah. So it, it's it's more than a casual, did you hear that? You know how people are, did you hear that? No, it's not like that. Or, yeah, I can hear you. No, that's not what he's saying. He, he's taking it deeper at that point. 
and 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 and, and the, when he says the words of this prophecy, he's referring to what we talked about yesterday, the logos. He's identifying what the prophecy is, and as we talked about what logos actually means, it means the ever-present, uh, you know, the oneness of God's expression, the divine expression of this prophecy. It's a present thing. So he says those that are able to be endowed with the faculty of hearing the divine expression, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is imparted. This is the kind of hearing that is imparted. Why is this important? And I know I'm going kind of fast, but you know, consider what's being said here. The impartation of the ability to hear is a direct um, <clears throat> work of the Spirit. But in the way that John has it dictated to him by the Lord Jesus Christ to write it to us, we're to, we're, to, we're to reflect on those things and understand that it is the systematic development of the believer, of the servant of God, in order to go further into the deeper things of God. It's progression, and it takes time to do these things. Although there will be a quickening in these last days if we pursue God with all our hearts. That is, as the times themselves will force us to, really, um, he's going to assist us. But we need to know what to look for. Now, when we come to the point of hearing the Logos or the words of this prophecy, the, the hearing, the acoustics, the aku in the Greek, it speaks of being endowed with the faculty of hearing. That means it must be given to us. <clears throat> now, why is this important? Because what's about to be unveiled at deep levels of understanding? I'm not saying you can't read the book and study it and glean from it. That's not what I'm saying. But the level to which John is trying to express to us something here comes directly from Christ. And so what he's doing is beginning to lead us into the deeper levels of understanding pattern, symbolism, and expression. And why the hearing at that level has to be imparted to you can be found, I think, in, in Hebrews. Let's turn over there, brothers, as we feel led of the Spirit to do so. Um, in Hebrews chapter 4, I think it is, the Apostle Paul says something very interesting there. Uh, let's see. Actually, I think it's chapter, yeah, it's, uh, let's see here. The Word of God is quick and powerful. Oh, no, it's actually it's chapter 6. Chapter 6, brother. We're talking about the, the impartation of hearing. So listen to what he says here. Can you read to us verse uh, 1 through 4, chapter 6, in light of what we're talking about, the impartation of hearing? Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do, if God permit, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. And have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, it's impossible to renew them again 
unto repentance, seeing that they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and they put him to an open shame. So what is Paul saying here when it comes to this level of hearing? First, in verse 1 and 2 of Hebrews 6, he basically says that the principles of the doctrines of Christ you know, have to do with repentance from dead works, believing in God, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment, all weighty and deep subjects. And really subjects that can be learned as a student. But then he talks about going on, uh, and as he describes it, unto perfection, which is a deeper level than the subjects he just listed. But then he, he gives us the caveat here in verse 3. He says, we will go on to the deeper levels of perfection of understanding. But he says this, if God permits us to. And he says the reason that God must permit it is because if we go on to those deeper things, uh, having been enlightened, having tasted of the heavenly gift, made a partaker of the Holy Spirit, having tasted of the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if we fall away after being given that permission to go deeper or having the impartation of the ability to hear given to us, and we go on into that list, which is the deeper things of God, which is really the book of Revelation. If we go back now, Brother Jeremy, to Revelation chapter 1, uh, that's what he's saying here. That's why the word that is used, that's why the word that is used here, uh, they that hear the words or the logos of this prophecy, the word hear, akub, where we get acoustics, is, is the kind of hearing that has to be imparted to the believer. And the reason it's imparted is for our own protection. That's what Paul said. Because if we go into the deeper things of God, having had that gift imparted to us, and then we go backwards, having mm. tasted of, of the grand revelation and the depth of understanding of the more mysterious things of God, we are in danger of never being able to return to a place of repentance for our sins. That's how serious this is. And so that's why he begins with the ability to distinguish, recognize, and accurately understand and acknowledge that's reading before impartation. But once impartation comes, uh, the third component is necessary, and that is to keep the things that are written therein. What that means is to guard from loss or injury. In other words, you, once we cross into this level, what we are hearing and what we are studying and what we are having revealed to us, he says, must then be contended for. And we need to protect it from loss or injury. To me, that makes me think about all the false prophets and all the false doctrines that emerge from this book. He says, when you have that impartation of hearing, the ability to distinguish and acknowledge, the ability to delineate the truth in all its symbolism, patterns, and so forth and so on, you then come to that final place where you become a guard, a watchman, if you will, keeping your eye on those things. It also means to keep uh, one in the state in which he is, uh, to reserve and to undergo something, to be transformed by the very word that you're hearing. I just said a mouthful there. Go ahead, brother. <laughs> no, yeah, it, uh, like words like preserve, obey observe right that's in that which you were just talking about the word of god yeah Yeah, and and, but it's the third component right yes yes and maybe i'm not expressing it it, it well 
But again, I take you back to what we read in Hebrews. Paul talked about divine knowledge that has to do with the worlds, plural, that are yet to come. And, and really, the book of Revelation is in many ways the component or the substance of the Logos, the divine expression given to his son. He is the builder. And as we unfold throughout this book, what you're going to see is it culminates at the final chapter with the declaration that we head into the into the glorious unknown, the eighth day, if you will. And and, and we go into the epoch of times without time, right? The ages that are yet to be unfolded in the marvelous uh, expressions of God himself. And Paul says, going on into into those realms, and into being able to hear and receive them. Um, <clears throat> if, if, if you fall away having had this kind of knowledge given to you, then there's really no hope for you because in essence you have sinned against great light. And so the impartation of hearing isn't even brought up until the third verse after it is first stated that the revelation belongs to those who have voluntarily stepped away from this world and ultimately become the possession of God himself. That's who it belongs to. Wow. Okay. Any thoughts? Uh, Brother Marty, uh, in, in many ways, uh, you, you're speaking about, uh, you said red here, key. it's an order, right? And uh, in many ways, it was fulfilled in, in Christ Jesus. And, and the Lord reminded me, uh, uh, speaking about Jesus as a man, right, is that he made himself of no reputation, right? He yes. took upon him the form of a servant. Remember, you were speaking about a servant yesterday and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and look at this and became obedient unto yes. death. So this, in many ways, this was the process of him as a man, right? As you read the scriptures, right? Hearing them and keeping them, it's the same thing uh, of, of, that we can say of Jesus Christ. Is, can, is that, oh, that, would that be that's a really good, accurate? No, that's a really, no, that's a good point because that scripture you're quoting, he became obedient even unto death, right? The death of the cross. Well, how yeah. was that obedience expressed? And we, we, we see that obedience expressed in the Garden of Gethsemane through what? The surrendering of one's will, right? Not my yeah. will. Yes. He became the ultimate servant of God, the faithful witness John goes on to describe him as. He became the, the ultimate one who surrendered. That's why everything that we're looking at was given to him. And yet we are to take that same path, just as you said. We're to imitate Christ. We're to follow him. And so the servant goes through that process of the surrendering of his will to the higher will. These can be easily stated. I mean, we can easily say those things. But the actual experience of it and the development of a child of God at, at these levels, and really there is no alternative level. That's why Jesus talked about many are the called, right? But few are the selected. Just because you hear and just because you begin the process, if you don't allow him to take us to the full extent, then we better really check ourselves. Because let me tell you something. So the more that you go toward God, the more the realization begins to be uh, ministered to your spirit and your soul, that deeper levels of surrender are being, are, are, you're being led to. We first have to have uh, revealed to us the areas of the territory of our spirit and soul 
that are not fully given to God. Many times they will hide themselves from our own understanding. We don't even know what's there within us. But the level of servant, which is what we're all called to be, servants of Christ, it is a progressive development of the spirit. But the fact that the book of Revelation in many ways is dealing with the end of things, the culmination of things, and the birthing of things, it is a letter specifically written, yes, to the churches, but really to the church at the end of time, because we are the ones that are going to see the fulfillment of all that is written therein. And so the qualifications for the kind of church that he's after in the end of times is revealed to us in Revelation 19, right? The bride has made herself ready. She's made herself ready. So I'm just throwing that out there so that we're going to explore those things in deeper ways. Those three things are, are very important going forward and things that we must ask ourselves in our own hearts. And, and, you know, where are we deficient in, in our spiritual quality here so that we can ask God to help us and to develop within us these qualities. Now, let's, let's go quickly here. As we get into the book of Revelation, we're going to go into these sections we talked about yesterday. But I just want to give you an overview of what John is revealing here because we're going to come back to verse 10 here as we close today. But, but really the book of Revelation, again, in another aspect of it, is a detailed account of the second exodus. You remember a few weeks ago we were teaching on the Exodus uh, and, and, and the coming out of the children of Israel in the actual historical story of, of their deliverance from Pharaoh, a type of the Antichrist, Egypt, a type of the world system, and the coming of the Lord to rescue his people. It's a foreshadow of the end-time church. And so what the book of Revelation is, it is in many ways to me a uh, you know the New Testament equivalent of the book of Exodus itself the telling of the story of the deliverance of the children of God. And and when they came out, it's very interesting because it was prophesied to Abraham in the book of, of Genesis that his children would be up under bondage for 430 years. And when you go study the account of the Exodus, it says that the children of Israel came up out of Egypt on the exact day that God told Abraham it would happen. So they're definitive time periods, and John concludes verse 3 by saying the time is at hand, or the epoch, or the age is going to be soon, as God views soon, right? And Jesus had already revealed that it would come at a, at a fixed appointed time in the future, and it would happen quickly. And so the, the book of, of Revelation really is that. It's the detailed account of the second exodus, the rescuing of the children of God from the bondage of this world, and ultimately what goes on to be revealed is a Pharaoh-like antichrist system, right? You've got one ruler, and you've got a world that comes against the children of God. Revelation 13 speaks to us of the antichrist moving against the saints of the Most High God. He goes to make war with them. Here's going to require the faith and the patience of the saints. As much as the taskmaster of the children of Israel, Pharaoh, increased their burdens and really came against them just before their deliverance, the same story is going to be played out now. Even now, in, 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 you know, across the, the world, we're beginning to see attention, and in this United States, turned toward Christians. They don't even understand it yet. Most in the church have no idea. They're asleep. They can't even comprehend this. But the events of this world are happening rapidly behind the scenes. If you're paying attention and you, and you, <laughs> you do your homework, 
you, you know, and, and allow the Spirit of God to show you what's actually going on in the policies that are being implemented, in the executive orders that are being signed, in the movements amongst the global elite as to what they're intending to do with vaccinations and, and the releasing of quite possibly additional plagues, viruses, whatever you want to call them. It's all ahead of us. And, and this morning, I just read an article where the leading um, doctor that's heading up and spearheading this whole movement for vaccinations now has reversed course and said, the children all have to be vaccinated. And they're intending to implement this nationwide, global-wide, actually, but as it comes to us, nationwide, they're, they're attempting to come after the children now, saying that they have to contribute to what they call herd immunity. What's that got to do with the book of Revelation? I'm using it as an example. What is this about? Look behind the scenes. What are they already doing? They're setting in, in, in motion uh, systems, policies, and structures that are going to affect every single person. And they want to come after the children now. Why? Because they know that many within the community of, of the church, so, so-called church, are completely uh, wary of the government in, infringing or intruding into their family lives and demanding that their children be vaccinated with the COVID-19 uh, virus, you know, to, uh, and so what this is going to, to do, if you can see, and they're making it a federal law, and they're, they're proclaiming that it's going to happen before summer, springtime and summer, what this is going to do is cause a division, which links to the other things that they're saying that they want to do. They've already began to label the Christian church in America as domestic terrorists. They've already began to label you as the enemy. Uh, and, and, and so what's going to happen and what they've been saying is that what they need to take the children away from us. Well, they're going to try and identify people who will resist this movement. So what are you saying, Brother Roddy? I know that sounds like it's out in left field, but it is connected. Because just as much as they went after the children of Israel in the time of the first exodus, the Bible reveals to us they are going to come after the church as they have already begun to do. If you have eyes to see, like a snare, Jesus said, it's going to come upon the whole world. And, and, and those who are not awake are going to wake up to the sudden reality that they are surrounded and there is no out. This is why it's vital that we understand what's being written here and we be led by the Spirit in these times to navigate ourselves through the uh, turbulent and, uh, waters that are just ahead. The rapids are beginning to increase. And, and the sound of the water is growing as we're heading toward uh, the proverbial, you know, giant waterfall over the edge. I mean, that's where we're being propelled toward. And so it is vital that we have these characteristics and these keys that John is revealing to us by the Holy Spirit as Christ gave it to him uh, so that we can begin to understand where we need to be going forward. What's coming, brothers and sisters, it's here and it's going to increase. And it's coming with great rapidity. It's coming rapidly. And, and so now, after he makes this statement in verse 3, now we go into verse 4 through 8. And I just want to show you, because we're going to hone in on verse 10. It won't be very much longer. We're going to hone in on verse 10. But I want you to see what he does. When he now begins to speak, what he does in verse 4 through 8 is, is in many senses gives a great overview of the entire book. He basically speaks to us as a prophet would speak, in that he lays out what Jesus Christ has actually accomplished. He transitions now from his introduction, verse 1 through 3, into verse 4, and, and he begins to, to be a spokesman for the Lord to his congregation. 
right? Read to us verse 4 real quick, Brother Jeremy. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which, which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And then in verse 5, he says, and from Jesus Christ. So what we see here is John begins to address the churches from the perspective of how they are in position and relationship to God. The church is different than the world. And so he's beginning to reveal to the church grace and peace. That's our position. Notice what he says, grace first, then peace. What he's trying to communicate by that is that is that it is the grace of God that has brought peace between us. That's why he declares grace and peace from who? From him who which is, which was, and is to come. That's the Father. From the seven spirits which are before his throne, that's the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, that's the Son. So he's basically revealing to us the plurality of God and declaring as he opens up the book of Revelation to the churches, you are now in a position of grace. You are Savior of the household of God, and this is thorough and complete. This is how God views you. You don't have to be afraid of him. You have been washed in the blood. That's basically what he goes on to say when he says in verse 5, what, Brother Jeremy? Says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood. Now he's unfolding what's already happened, right? He first addresses the churches from the perspective that God has a controversy, if you will, with men. But when it comes to the church, he gives the established fact that it's been finished. You now have grace, and there is peace between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and you, the church. And he said this happened because of Jesus Christ. He now begins to preach the gospel. He was the faithful witness all the way to the cross, right? He's the one that is resurrected from the dead, the first begotten of the dead. He's the prince of the kings of the earth, something we could talk about for hours, but he's basically establishing Jesus as a prince in waiting. He's the rightful heir and king of this planet, but he, in essence, is the authority over all the kings of the earth. And he's really talking about the spiritual component and the rulers of the territorial positioning around the dimension of the earth. He's addressing angelic powers here. He is the supreme authority. And, and he has washed us in his blood. That's the sacrifice. So he's preaching the gospel here. He's our savior. We've been washed in his blood. He's the rightful king of kings. And then after being washed in his blood, he declares to us what he did. Can you read verse 6, Brother Jeremy? And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So now he establishes his kingdom and what he has received, as Daniel referred to, the, to him, is that he has an everlasting dominion. Then he accelerates to the second coming of the Lord in verse 7. Can you read verse 7, Brother Jeremy? Behold, he cometh with clouds. And every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. If you can see it, what John is doing here is unfolding in these first few verses the entire plan of God and how it's going to culminate. 
by the time he gets to verse 7, he starts declaring the second coming of the Lord. That's him coming in the clouds, right? The subsequent, uh, you know, 21 chapters from this first chapter are going to unveil everything that he's talking to us about here, his second coming. And then he, he turns our attention to Israel, right? Because not only will he come for his church in the clouds, every eye is going to see him, but also he says in verse 7, they which pierced him, right? They which mm -hmm. pierced him, they who crucified him. He's talking about Israel. Because there are prophecies where Israel has to be saved, right? And this is what he's doing in giving us, if you can see it, a timeline of how it's going to happen. When the Lord comes at his second coming, it's at that time that Israel will turn to him and ask him to come. If you remember the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10, where he talks about uh, them looking upon him whom they have pierced, right? Mourning for him as one mourns for their only son. They will be saved by the spirit of grace and supplication poured out to them. This is where John identifies Israel being saved. You have the clouds and you have Israel here all at the end of time. And that's why from that point when Jesus comes in the clouds and Israel's being saved, he then transitions into all the nations of the world. The kindreds of the earth are going to what? Wail because of him. He's talking about the wrath of God being poured out right there. And then he concludes, even so, amen, with verse 8 as the Father ruling supreme as Almighty God in verse 8. Can you read that, verse 8? I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith yes. the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty. There is no more opposition. So in these first verses, and, and I know I've gone fast, but go back and listen to it. In these first verses, verse 4 through 8, he basically lays out the entire book of Revelation and how it's going to unfold. He starts from the position of, of uh, you know, the necessity to have grace and peace between God, which is ministered under the churches. And then he unfolds how that happens, that it's a complete salvation. Him who was and, and is and is to come is the Father, the seven spirits before his throne, the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, the Son. So all three are in a, are in a, in a, a position of grace and peace with his church he then establishes who he is he's the beginning of the creation of god the first begotten of the dead he's the faithful witness he's the king of kings right the prince of all the kings of the earth and he has washed us in his blood he's preaching the gospel and as a result of that we have become the kings we have become the priests under god and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and dominion forever then he he goes right away into the second coming, verse 7. He's coming with the clouds, and he turns our attention briefly to Israel. The two events are connected. The return of the Lord and the salvation of one-third of Israel, according to the prophecies, uh, will happen simultaneously. They will, be, they will be saved at that moment. And then comes the wrath. All the kindreds of the earth are wailing. After the wrath is poured out and that wailing, he says, even so let it be. Amen. And then the declaration is made of the Almighty God. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. So those those verses right there set the tone for what's about to be unfolded. Now something interesting happens. It's as if we go into a another explanation. Now John is going to begin to unfold to us where he was and what happened and how he received what he received. Where did he start, Brother Jeremy, in verse 9? Can you read that? I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation 
and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now remember what we said, the book of Revelation is the unfolding of the second and final exodus. So we should begin to see some patterns here that are very similar to the uh, original exodus. And that is what we see. Much as Moses and the children of Israel were in the wilderness, we begin with the story of John on a desert island. Just as Moses was in the desert itself, we see John in a desert island called Patmos. That's where he's been banished to, much like Moses was banished to the wilderness. But then he he, he goes on to say uh, in verse 10 and 11, can you, well, just read to us verse 10, first of all, Brother Jeremy. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. Now, here's where we're going to begin to dig in real quickly now. So what we begin to see here is we see a, a, his apostle in, in a desert-like setting, right? He's on an island. He's banished to the desert island of Patmos. He then, uh, in many ways, is functioning as a Moses-like character. And in, in many ways, he is the Moses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all need to think about that for a while, but that's exactly what he is. And we'll see that here in a second. But he finds himself also uh, being called uh, to gather the uh, the seven churches, right? Because verse 11 can you read verse 11? But just, just get to the part where it says, send unto the seven churches, and you can stop right there. Read the first half of that 11th verse. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Amen. So he, he then begins to uh, address the congregation as a whole. But the interesting thing here in verse 10 is what he says. I hear uh, behind me a great voice of a trumpet. And then when we go out, uh, after he says, I hear this trumpet, he now begins to address the seven churches. And, and what we're seeing here is a wilderness experience uh, and, and a revelation of Jesus to his own church. But he's fulfilling the pattern that happened in the Exodus. And the key to understanding what John is saying here in that he hears a trumpet can be found in the book of Numbers. Turn over to, to Numbers, would you, Brother Jeremy? <clears throat> I hope you're you're not too lost out there, but uh, take your time and listen. And 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 I'm trying my best to explain these things, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, you know, just just go slowly, and 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 you know that's the beauty of the podcast. You can go back and listen to something, and take these notes, and think about these things. All right. So something really interesting is revealed there, and we see the same pattern uh, happening in the Book of Revelation. Look what God had Moses do, and and what they uh, are experience here as He calls Moses and He calls for His congregation. What does He say in verse one through three of Numbers chapter ten? Chapter 10. One, two, three. Okay. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Make thee two trumpets of silver, of a whole piece shalt thou make them, and thou mayest 
used them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to thee at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So what we see happening in the wilderness here is that the sound of the trumpets, uh, what God is saying here is they, uh, when the trumpet sounds, you and the congregation are to be assembled at the tabernacle. You're, you're being called to, to the tabernacle. Now I'll go back to uh, verse 10 and, and, and look at the same pattern beginning to unfold here. John is in the spirit on the Lord's day. We can just talk about that for a second. Well, which day is it, right? Is it the third day? Is that the Lord's day when he rose from the dead? Is it the seventh day, the Sabbath day? Is that the Lord's day? Either one are, are symbolic of, of the culmination of the ages. So by, by identifying the fact that what's about to unfold is on the Lord's day, the seventh day, or, or the resurrection day, it's the same principle. What he's saying by that is that we have, we have reached this point now where we're about to go into that time frame that will culminate with the return of the Lord. It's the seventh day in many senses. But now he hears a trumpet. So what's happening here and what Jesus is doing is assembling his servant and assembling his congregation. Just as Numbers chapter 10, where we just read, in the wilderness, a trumpet would be blown. Moses and the congregation would then be gathered to the very tabernacle of God. This is what Jesus is beginning to do with his servant. This is how he described what was happening to him and how he came to this revelation. He hears a trumpet, and, and then he immediately goes into addressing the seven churches. So the trumpet was very much the assembling of his servant and the congregation as they're about to have uh, Jesus revealed to them. It's the seven churches. It's the calling forth of an assembly. And we're about to to see more here what happens. Now, again, let's look at verse 12 and see what happens in verse 12. Can you read verse 12, Brother Jeremy? And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Now, this is really interesting because what we have seen as we're following the pattern and the symbology is a trumpet that John hears. And then we see John and the congregation, right? He says, look, now you write in a book and, and give it to the seven churches, right? So we have a trumpet blown and the assembly. He's actually calling forth for an assembly. It's identified as the seven churches. And, and that's what he tells him to do. Now he says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. I don't know how deep we can go here, but, <laughs> I want you to understand what you're about to see here. And I told you this is going to be a little different today. But let me tell you, what we're about to see here is Jesus presenting himself as the completed body of Christ and how the body of Christ is to look. That's one aspect of it. When John is assembled by the blowing of a trumpet and the, and the congregation as well as the seven churches are identified in verse 10 and 11. He now turns to see the voice, he says in verse 12, and what he sees are seven golden candlesticks. Now, I want you, this is grown-up stuff here. Now listen, 
Think of it from this perspective now. We're following the pattern of the calling and the assembling of the church. But John, as, as the priest of the Lord, what he now sees is seven golden candlesticks. That's what he says. So you have to think of it from this perspective because he's using tabernacle language. He's describing the holy place. Remember, we're looking at a tabernacle here now. We've been assembled by the blowing of a trumpet, the seven churches, John. We've been assembled by the blowing of this trumpet. That's what he's saying. And now he, when he turns, he's immediately in the location of the holy place. For those of you who aren't familiar with that, what, what, when you look at and study the tabernacle in the wilderness, you had an outer court, which contained brass and water. You have an inner court, which is the holy place, where there is the seven-branched menorah, the seven golden candlesticks, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. And then you have the holy of holies, which is where the light and the Shekinah glory of God is. So what John is about to have unfolded to him is the most spectacular insight uh, to to dimensional reality. I know. So listen. So what happens here is is the first thing that is revealed to him, and in many ways what, what has happened to him, is he's been brought into a position of the holy place because that's where the seven candlesticks are. And this is what he sees. Turning, I see the seven golden candlesticks. So he's been ushered into another dimension, if you will, another compartment of spiritual understanding. He's no longer in the outer court on the Isle of Patmos, if you will. He's now in the holy place where he sees seven golden candlesticks, a representation of the church, yes, but also the menorah itself. Mm -hmm. Any thoughts so far? <laughs> I got a question that I think it's yeah. interesting, Brother Marty, because um, in within the holy, he's in the holy place, right? And, yeah. And that's where the 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 holy bread is at, the altar of incense. But it, I, I don't think it's coincidental that the first thing he sees there are the seven candlesticks, very powerful. Yeah. yeah. And um, I, I don't know if that that's that's not coincidental, right? It's no it's with purpose. He, he doesn't see yeah. the showbread spurs. He doesn't see the altar of incense, but he sees the seven candlesticks. What a picture. Well, which it, tells us also, yeah. Brother Marty, that, again, we see the patterns of three. Right? You spoke about that in, in the first few yeah. verses yes. Uh, yes. of uh, Revelation chapter 1. Uh, and, and the tabernacle is made up of the outer court, the holy place or inner court, and the holy of holies. We see that pattern of three again. And yeah. which tells us even deeper things that the tabernacle not only spoke of the redemption of mankind, but it spoke of the eternal unfolding plan of God. It spoke at many yeah. different levels. Um, yeah. So we're getting insight into uh, uh, the unfolding plan of God, the eternal uh, plan of God, um, as 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 John is, you know, he, he turns back and now his. His, uh, I, you know, he's he's beholding their candlestick, and he's going to give us more revelation. The Lord is right uh, through his yes. through his Holy Spirit to his servants. More revelation concerning what all these things mean, concerning the yes. tabernacle, etc. So uh, yes. it's, it's very powerful. 
Yeah, and, and, and so what we're seeing is John is being led by the Spirit into, uh, just like you said, brothers, the holy place, because that's where the seven-branch candlestick is. It's in the holy place. It is a progression toward the ultimate throne room of God, which actually happens when we get to chapter 4. We'll get there in a minute, but listen. Um, he... He he is having it revealed in this way for many Brother reasons. Marty. Yes. Brother Marty, one question. Now, so we have John um, in the tabernacle, right? He's yes. describing a tabernacle. Yes, he is. Is this the same tabernacle that the Lord told Moses to make the tabernacle in earth after its pattern? Yes. Yes. And he, and he actually, we had it revealed to there in the book of Hebrews where he said, see that thou make everything according to the pattern that was shown you in the mount, right? You know, mm -hmm. what God showed Moses uh, was the actual tabernacle in heaven, the actual temple of God. And so he said, you make a, to scale, right, <laughs> on the earth, this tabernacle that you've seen and do it exactly as I showed you. In many ways, it was the very first way that God was going to express himself to his people. It was like day one. It was like first grade, if you will. He wanted to express mm -hmm. himself, uh, and he was beginning the process of expressing to mankind what you said, the overall massive plan and purpose of God as revealed in the three compartments of the tabernacle. And and so in, he began with constructing that tabernacle in the wilderness in order to begin the process of instructing humanity, that is, his church throughout the ages. He begins there. And and it right. will ultimately it'll ultimately unfold into us becoming the tabernacle of the Lord, right? Personally. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but he used it as like a big object lesson. <laughs> so he took us to school Incredible. in other words. He took us to school. He's so wise, right? He took us to school, uh, and and he has for six thousand years, right? So 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 check this out. He's he's he starts in the outer court, right, the Isle of Patmos, and then by the time the trumpet's blown, it's for a congregation. It's for the assembling to the tabernacle. So at very deep levels, what he's trying to express to us is, I'm calling you to come have a meeting with me now. Because I'm about Hallelujah. to show you something, right? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> this is hard stuff for the uninitiated, un, uh, so to speak. But I know that the Spirit of God can 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 work what we're saying here. Now, now listen. Um, so, it's it's vital for us to pay attention to what He sees, because what He is shown. It's it's not by happenstance or by whim. It's devastatingly accurate as as it is desired to be expressed. In other words, Jesus shows him exactly what he wants him to see when he exactly wants him to see it. And because of that, then we have to take note and pause on our journey along the way to ask why. What are you saying by saying this? So when he assembles them, the first thing he does, and one of the first things that we can understand, is what he says. Listen to what he says here, because remember what we're talking about here. This is the book of Revelation. And in many ways, it deals with the final 
three and a half years of human history as it goes forward, once we get past the initial early church stage of chapter two and three, it then immediately goes into the accelerated future of the final three and a half years of human history, which is the final 42 months, but that's for another time. But let's start here with that understanding in mind, because notice what he says. I turn to see what, Brother Jeremy? What did he turn to see? I, I saw seven golden sti- uh, candlesticks. No, before that, I turned to see what? Oh, I'm sorry. I turned to see the voice that spake with me. My God. Mm. And and how did that voice uh, materialize before him? Uh, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. So what the Lord was trying to first communicate to John, I believe, is that his voice will be found in the last days being expressed through the seven golden candlesticks, his true church, the church in the holy place. And that's why he goes on and says what in verse 13? And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So what he's revealing to us, and what he's having John reveal to us, is that when these last days arrive, he says, I'm going to be in the midst of my church, made up of you know, Jew and Gentile of the true church in the end time. And and he wanted him to see that because the voice of the church in the last days is going to be specific. The voice or the message that will be proclaimed is revealed in how he identifies the Lord. He calls him what, Brother Jeremy, in verse 13? What, what, what title does he give him there? The the son of man. Yes. So he's setting the the tone. He's he's cultivating the mood in order to understand what he's saying. Says John, I turned to hear to see the voice, and what I saw was a seven branched menorah, a gold, the seven golden candlesticks, which we know exist in the holy place. So what we're being told by the Spirit of God is this. Remember, it started out, the revelation belongs to my servants. It belongs to those that that read, that hear, and that keep the words of this prophecy, right? And then he goes here and says, this is what they look like. It's the true church in the final days. And he says, what they are is, is the church that I'm going to express myself through. That's why he reveals himself as... Uh, in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, fully flowing with the spirit of Christ, but as the son of man, which gives us a hint as to, uh, you know, again, setting the mood for what this church will be expressing. It is the expression of the son of man. He uses that phrase because the son of man is the judge. (laughs) That's who he is. Turn over to Daniel chapter seven so we can confirm that. Because it's a rare term that's used, and it's always used of Christ as judge. 
and 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 this is what he does in in Daniel chapter seven. He calls him that very same phrase. And uh, let's, I think it's verse thirteen, brother Jeremy. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all people, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not be taken, but shall not pass away, and his kingdom, that which shall never be destroyed. So he's presented as the Son of Man coming in the clouds in Daniel, right? So when John sees him over here, what we're looking at, he's in the midst of his church in the end of time as the Son of Man. So it, it teaches us what the true church will be expressing in these times, is that Jesus is coming, and he's coming to judge the world. That's why he's allowed to see that. But he's allowed to see it because that's what the unfolding of the book of Revelation is. Jesus opening the seven seals, loosing the, 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 you know, the, 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 the seals, the, the trumpets, the vials, and ultimately the three woes, right? By the time he comes back in chapter 19, you know, the, the wrath of God being poured out. Um, this is what we see. And he's trying to express that in a very profound way and, and that we would understand that he's coming in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way to inhabit his church in these times, but as the Son of Man, he will be expressing himself through the church as the Son of Man, as the judge, as the everlasting king, the one who, who is coming to uh, take back this planet and put down all rebellion. That's going to be the message. Any thoughts, brothers? Brother, Brother Marty, I, I think it, exp it also exposes that the message that we are hearing in this hour as a whole in the body of Christ, especially in America, is not the correct message. It's not the message that Jesus intended for these last days. That's yeah. what it does. It is. You know, it, it is, you know, what are we listening to? Who are we listening to? As you, mm -hmm. as you said it many times, we cannot go back to the same thing. Right. Because if we do, we are going to miss what God is saying through and to the seven churches, which is a type of uh, his body, you know? And, that, and, and, yeah. and as you said, the expression that it uses, the son of man, it is, it is an expression used to, to, to declare him as a judge, right? Yeah. And we use the yeah. examples of Daniel 7. So it, it's, very, it's an indictment, really, on, on the church, the false church today that, well, that is... Yeah. That, Go ahead, brother. You know, that was, that's what you, what you just said there, because that's what we see, brother, when we go forward. Remember, when we come to the conclusion of this first chapter, and stay with us and you that are listening to us, and follow along in the scripture, you'll see what we're saying here. When we come to the conclusion of the first chapter, that's precisely what you just said, because what he begins to do then is deconstruct the seven churches. He begins to expose their weaknesses, their flaws, their sins. He begins to as judge, slow, right, <laughs> and and mm. speak and address them. But but listen, don't lose what I'm about to tell you. He presents himself as the completed tabernacle. 
he presents himself in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And what you're about to see right now is Jesus manifested as the Son of Man flowing through his church and flowing through his church as to what his church should look like when it's completed. But it's not that way yet. But he wants us to see what it's always intended to be. And, and, and so what you're about to see in the description of him is the completed church with Christ at the head. But he's representing the whole church, spiritually speaking. And once he reveals himself as that, as we'll see here in a second, he then turns to John and says, now go to the seven churches and show them how far short they fall of what you've just seen. What they're supposed to look like is this, right? One girt with a garment down to his feet. One, one clothed with a golden girdle around his chest and his heart. Eyes like a flame of fire, feet and water, all this stuff he's just talking about. It's all very symbolic and meant to represent the whole total true church of the living God. Once he sees that, he then takes him and begins to say, now go and talk to the seven churches and begin to deconstruct each church and reveal to them where they fall short. I have something against thee, right? He says, <laughs> but that's, <laughs> I hope you hear what I'm saying. So look, and we're going to see this. Another thing, he's in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. It is a reflection of the end time church in the holy place. And he's, he's in the midst as the son of man. He comes to sit and reflect and the church will be reflecting that very message that he's coming to judge the world. But then there's other symbolism here that, that lets us know he's talking about the end time because of how specific he is. He's in the midst of the seven candlesticks. He's one like, uh, like unto the Son of Man. We've discussed that title and what that literally means and what he's saying. And notice what he says here. He's clothed with a garment down to the feet. Again, symbolic language. What he's revealing is that the church is now completed. He's letting him see a completed church. It is a garment that covers the whole body from the bottom of the neck all the way down to the feet. And so it's a garment that he has fully clothed himself in. It's, he's fully clothed from top to bottom. This requires spiritual understanding, what I'm telling you here, but it's the same concept that we talked about last year when we talked about Mary at the feet of Jesus, representing an end-time church in fellowship with the head who was about to go through suffering. So the end-time church, as Jesus described her, anointing his feet for his burial, right, because he was going to be crucified. Mm -hmm. And, and and so we talked about her at his feet representing that church at the end of time because he was the body of Christ right before there was a body of Christ. He embodied the body of Christ. And so much with that kind of understanding we see here, this garment reaches now to the feet. And in many ways, what he's saying and what he's portraying is my church is now complete because what's about to be unfolded in chapter four and beyond after he corrects the present seven-day churches of his time, John's time, uh, will be the unfolding of that glorious church as we go throughout the rest of the book. Now listen, 
He's, he's clothed with a garment down to his feet, and he has a golden girdle around his chest. Now, this is really interesting. Now, get the picture again, because we're now looking at a different aspect of it. We're looking at it as Christ as the totality of his whole body. He is the body of Christ, and he's presenting John a picture of the full body in symbolism. He's embodying the whole thing, and the body of Christ is the temple of the Lord. And if you look at the descriptive elements of this body as he reveals himself to him in this vision, you will see all the elements of the tabernacle wrapped up into how he reveals himself here. This garment down to the feet in many ways can be likened unto the outer court. Because when we get up to the chest and the heart, we now suddenly see gold. That gold at the top part of this body as he reveals himself can can represent the holy place. And then when he sees his face, he sees it. Can you read his face there, Brother Jeremy, in uh, verse 16? What does his face look like? My, my. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were, were as a flame of fire. Keep reading all the way through verse 16. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Incredible. So if you can see it here, what we're, what's actually being revealed is the whole tabernacle wrapped up into one body, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's presenting himself this way. We see the, the brazen altar. We see the brazen labor here in verse 15. Look, his feet in the outer court, right, are like what? Fine brass. Well, the brazen altar, that's the brazen altar. Uh, and, and then we see what? The brazen labor represented by the voice, which is, is the sound of what? Many waters. That's what the brazen labor was. It was full of water. We're seeing the components of the tabernacle wrapped up into the vision of Christ in totality, representing his whole body. But then when we go to the Holy of Holies, if you can receive it, we see exactly what existed in the Holy of Holies. We see the word of God, right, coming out of his mouth. Do you remember how Moses put the Torah inside the Ark of the Covenant? We see the, the, the sharp two-edged sword, which is the word of God, right? It's as if in that holy of holies now we see his face shining like the sun. And that's what would happen in the holy of holies. The, the very Shekinah glory of God would shine out in brilliance. And so if you can receive it, what how he's presenting himself to John is containing the elements of all that the church is going to be and meant to be embodied in how he revealed it to John in the vision. And so he's showing him a completed tabernacle with him as the Shekinah, as the head, right? And how we know that at this point when he sees him uh, shining as the sun, that he has entered into the holy of holy expression is what happened to John. Because only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies. And when Jesus revealed himself as a light that outshines the sun, in many ways, if you can receive it, John was ushered into a Holy of Holy moment 
which is only uh, allowed to be granted access to the Holy of Holies, to the great high priest. That is why John, when he sees that great, brilliant light representing the Holy of Holies in the face of Christ Jesus, has this reaction. Verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. None of us are allowed to, to experience that glory, right? Because as it was told in the Old Testament, if you go into the Holy of Holies and you're not the high priest, which is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be struck dead. When John experiences that moment, as he's progressively led through this vision, as he's describing it to us, whether it's the holy place where the seven golden candlesticks are, the description of the, of the mission and the purpose of the church, because Jesus dwells in the midst of his church as the son of man in the last days, it will be characteristic of the true message. Jesus is coming to judge. Jesus is coming to rescue his church. Uh, he's clothed down to the foot with his garment, which is indicating and symbolically indicating the end of time has come. The body of Christ is complete. It reaches to the feet. The golden girdle around his his uh, his chest is representative of the, of the holy place. It's where the gold is, right? And then he, we see also the addition of his head white as snow, his eyes a flame of fire. That's what goes on on the inside of the holy place. You got fire, you've got, you know, uh, the, the, the wool, the light, all of that representing the purity of the priest that would minister in those aspects. And we ain't got time to get into all those, those components, but that's for your, your own study at another time. And then he's seen as fine brass and waters. That, that, those are the components of the outer court of the brazen mm-hmm. altar and the brazen labor. And then he takes us into the Holy of Holies in describing him in many ways as the completed Ark of the Covenant, because that's where the Holy of Holies is, the Word of God being the sharp two-edged sword, representing what Moses put into the Ark. And then, then we see the Shekinah, right? The, the, the great sun shining in his strength, which causes him to die. He falls at his feet as dead. But then what the Lord does is incredible because he extends his right hand upon him and tells him, do not fear, I'm the first and the last. He raises him from the dead. And (laughs) I ain't got time to go into all that. (laughs) But I want to draw your attention to this because uh, the fact that John identifies in verse 17, he didn't say he laid his hand on me. He said he laid his right hand on me now you can go and study these things on your own but whenever uh, the high priest functioned in the tabernacle uh and and then would commission a priest or a servant of the high priest to do something uh within the confines of the tabernacle or the temple uh he would he would commission him by laying his right hand on him and so when when John is raised up, Jesus lays his right hand on him and begins to commission him to go forth. That's what he tells him in verse 19. Write these things which you have seen, the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. John is being brought into another level. He's being commissioned now to unfold the book of Revelation to us. And and all these things he's been experiencing were multiple were multi uh multi-dimensional in their in their instructional revelation at various levels 
And I'm just bringing out highlights to us today in order that as the Lord leads you individually and those of you that are listening, camp on all these points. Let him lead you through these places. Meditate through these things. And the depth and the wealth of what is being expressed here to us is so overwhelmingly profound because it leads us into those places of the impartation of the ability to hear, discern, understand, acknowledge, and recognize everything that he's about to say. So when he lays his right hand on him, he, he then commissions him to begin to address the, the church. Now, remember what we said earlier. The reason Jesus presented himself as this glorious representation of a fully completed church with him in the midst of it and all the brilliancy uh, that, that is described there, fire and light and sun and all that stuff, you know, uh, gold and all the beautiful things that he goes on to describe there, it is as if the Lord is telling him, this is the ultimate destiny of my end-time church. Now that you've seen that, I lay my right hand upon you and commission you. Go talk to the church that's here now, because we've got work to do over the next 2,000 years to call a people out of these seven conditions that you're about to address. <laughs> Lord help me. So anyway, <laughs> so uh, any thoughts? <laughs> oh man, many thoughts. Uh, <laughs> well, let's hear some. <laughs> well, it, it later goes on and says, "Fear not, I'm the first yeah. and the last." Um, you know, the ability for John to write at such level, one has to come to the conclusion that, um, you know, he he was a priest. A Levite. Right? Yeah. I mean, for him to be able to see that, and, and again, uh, we we see the connection with Moses uh, in those words. I am the first and the last. Yeah. Um, Moses, remember, he's the one that wrote the five, the uh, first five books of the Bible. Yeah. John's writing the closing book of the Bible. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a reference to to Moses and John being the uh John being a type of shadow in the in the uh uh in Revelation chapter one in the New Testament of Moses. Yes. Right? So so we That's see that connection, right? Um yeah. also also be, so he he's he's taken through the progression. It's very clear to me. Uh, and yeah. I and I studied the tabernacle for many years and, and, and hopefully this will prompt the people that are listening to begin to study the uh the tabernacle because it's full of so much wealth and, and revelation as we now see that that John is is, is showing us right, um, yeah. and, and in it, it it contains the 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 plan of God, you know the the eternal unfolding plan of God as we always say, and so we see the progression from the outer court to the inner court, you know uh, to to the holy of holies the the different kind of metals that were in, in the outer court which is the brass and then as you enter the inner court the gold and, and and then the Shekinah glory, right? Uh, the yeah. fact where we see the sun is mentioned, right? She shines like the sun. Yeah. But but now as he's entered into the holy of holies, as a high priest, um, and 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 he's commissioned, uh, to 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 preach now to the church. The same, you know, was said of Moses, right? Whenever he got the law, to go tell it to the people. Any revelation right. that he got when he would go up to the mountain, I think that was eight uh, ascensions, yeah. um, if I'm not mistaken. 
Oh, that's right. incredible as well. <clears throat> um, but now in the Holy of Holies, and the people have to understand this, once you reach there, time and space is no more. Yeah. You are entering into another dimension where you see everything from beginning to end as one completed work. Yes. And now, because he's there, he's in the Lord, in the spirit on the Lord's day, he's entered into this place where he sees the completed plan of God of the ages. He is able to write the book of Revelation to us and, and declare it to the seven churches. Now, this is such so powerful because the truth of the matter is that's where the leadership of the church should have been taking the church up to that kind but, of understanding. Yes. That's uh, why we find ourselves in the situation we find ourselves today, unawares, uneducated of what's taking place and where we are going. Yes. Because we don't have the men of God like John. And again, <laughs> this kind of revelation doesn't just come, you know, you know, to, to it, it, we read about how you have to be a servant to receive yes. what God wants to give His servants to give to the church. And this came at a time of persecution. He is in prison. Yes, he is in the island of Patmos, which, which we spoke about means uh, uh, my uh, my killing, right? That's it's, right. It's where, where where we are going to go to suffer? Yes. So that's how John receives the, the information, the revelation that from the Lord concerning Jesus Christ to give to the churches. So that whole process, and, and, and ultimately, we felt miserably, brother, the leadership of the church, because <laughs> the way Revelation 1 is describing the Son of Man, the Son of God, is not what is manifesting today. You're right, brother. You know? Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So many thoughts, so many thoughts there. Yeah, and 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 that's just powerful, and 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 you, you you know I've been holding back on this one, but see when we look at it and and we realize that what we are seeing is so multi layered that with with each aspect or rotation of concept and revelation, a new aspect is given, another level of insight is revealed. And, and and you pointed it out earlier. We looked at it at this point from the perspective of Jesus Christ manifesting the whole tabernacle, what it should look like. It is true that scholars say that John was more than likely uh, a, a Levitical priest, well-connected, which is why when you read the Gospel of John, you find that John had access into the high priest's house, Caiaphas, and his, right. when Jesus was under trial. Remember, he had to go let Peter in the house because he knew everybody. So you're right. He writes like a priest. He points out these things because he's very familiar with temple service and what it looks like. And so Jesus is revealing himself in these descriptive ways because he's giving him such, such insight to what you, what you call the plan and the purpose of God for the long term. And so what's interesting is if you can, based on that, another layer and another aspect is is this the book of revelation is revealed in a cycle 
it starts small, it rotates and comes back to its beginning position. And then it, it begins to enlarge itself again, rotates and comes back to a concluding position, which is the beginning position, the first and the last, right? But with each subsequent uh, <clears throat> narration of what he saw, we the circle gets bigger. That's why when you read like the first seven chapters, at the end of chapter seven, it's all over, it's all done. Jesus is ruling and reigning, right? They, they'll fall on us. The, you know, the wrath of God has come. You know, the 144,000 and innumerable hosts were all before the throne room of God. Chapter 7, bada bing, it's over. Well, but wait a minute. There's, there's 14 more chapters to go. Yes, that's correct. And then the cycle starts again and gets even larger. And so this is what we're seeing here in, in these verses. When you come to verse 17, as you were just talking about, what you are seeing from another rotated angle of understanding, if you can see it and receive it in verse 17, is we are witnessing the conclusion of all things. We're coming to the end, like you just quoted, Brother Fernando. That is why what we see, not only John, let's go away from the whole Shekinah glory in the holy place falling dead aspect to another aspect. If we're reaching the conclusion of the revelation, the initial revelation here, then it makes sense that what we're actually witnessing in John falling at his feet as dead and Jesus laying his hand on him is a foreshadow of the actual first resurrection from the dead. And that's why Jesus then goes on to reveal himself as the one that holds the keys of death and hell. Because what he's actually also revealing there is he's concluding the initial manifestation of his being and what he's trying to communicate at such profoundly deep levels to us multi-layered level uh when he gets to that concluding statement amen i have the keys of death and hell what you are seeing is a foreshadow of the conclusion of all things because when we get to the end of the book death hell and the grave all of it will be done away with locked away if you will that's why he raises john from a dead as a foreshadow of the of the ultimate resurrection from the dead of the saints of god and then they neither have to fear death and hell anymore he's in control that's what we're seeing here and then it comes to a conclusion, and now he commissions him in verse 19 and starts the cycle again. He begins to unfold something. As you said, remember what you just said to the people, to our brothers and sisters, is understand we've been ushered into the realm of the spirit where all things are present. And, and so they're all things simultaneously, past, present, and future. They exist. That's why the best way that God could describe himself is to say, What's your name, Moses? That he said, I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ever present. Right. Yes, ever present. There is, he casts no shadow, right? There's no shadow of turning. He is that marvelous, unapproachable light, so to speak. Uh, he's present. Ah, uh, this is really incredibly deep stuff, but, but I pray it, spur, it stirs the heart to understand what Paul described when, in describing the Lord. He said, Him with whom we have to do that's how he says it with him with whom we have to do this is god we're talking about and how god talks is so complex and yet simple once the revelation is seen it's like oh my gosh that's just obvious well it is if he opens our eyes to see it so when he lays hands on, on John, he commissions him. And this is really interesting. We'll come to a close here because what we're looking at now, when he turns his attention to the 19th and 20th verse, can you, can you read that, Brother Jeremy, as we close? Yeah, 
write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So now he commissions him and like Brother Fernando pointed out, he had Moses write in a book, right? And give it to the priests. If you go back and read in Exodus, that's exactly what God commanded him to do. And he also commanded his kings, right, to make copies of the word that the priests, the Levites and the priests had, that the king was meant to make copies and write it in a book so that he would remember to keep the statues of God. In many ways, this is what you're seeing. The Moses of the Lord Jesus Christ, John, uh, being commanded to write what he has seen and the things that are and the things which shall be hereafter and deliver it to the kingdom of kings and priests. Ah, how deep can we go? So listen, uh, <clears throat> he then goes on to illuminate to him something, the mystery of the seven stars, which are in his what? Right hand. The seven stars that he begins to address, when you read Revelation chapter 2 through 3, he addresses the unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, unto the angel of the church of Smyrna, unto the angel, you know, of all the different churches. He goes down the seven churches. He first reveals the seven stars in his right hand because the right hand of God symbolically is always the authority of God, the commissioning of God, the blessing of God. But in this case, he is commissioning John. And this is the profound thought. Because what he's telling John to do is to specifically address the angels that the Lord commissioned to take care of his church. And so he's transferring authority for correction of angelic host to John, his apostle. And John begins to address the seven churches, but specifically the ones in charge of, of being the influencers, and the ministers to the churches. Remember what God said about his angels. They are ministering spirits sent forth to minister unto the heirs of salvation. So when Christ first commissions John, he commissions him to stand as a corrector of the seven angels. And, and that's what he begins to do. Write to the angel of Ephesus, write to the angel of Smyrna, write to the angel of Thyatira, write to the, and go down the seven churches, right? So he's, he's actually granted him authority. And notice when that authority took place, brothers and sisters, after John rose from the dead. Remember what Paul said, we will judge angels. We will sit in judgment of them. We will be the judges of them. He says, know ye not that you shall judge angels? So this is what we are seeing here. When John raises from the dead, he's then given full authority of the Lord to address angelic beings. I don't want to go too deep into that, but I'll leave it out there for your consideration. The second thing is the commission to the seven churches. And what Jesus is actually revealing here is that, remember, the book of Revelation is about the second exodus, but it's also about judgment and wrath. And so he starts with the seven churches in many ways to say judgment must begin at the house of God. And that's what we're seeing here, the pattern of it. 
is that judgment is beginning at the house of God and that the seven churches are addressed. The seven churches were not merely the seven churches of that time, but in many senses they have existed simultaneously and the experiences of those churches individually and collectively really can write the history of the church over the last 2,000 years because these are the Gentile churches, the churches of Asia, made up of Jew and Gentile, of course, but yet in the Gentile territories. And that's really... <laughs> as you go forward, what is being expressed here. But I want to show you something as we conclude here, because, again, judgment begins at the house of God. <laughs> and remember, Christ revealed what his full body was meant to be. He shows him first that on that aspect that we were looking at today, the completed body, before he goes into the correction of the body. So he wants John to carry with him within the resonance of what he's about to express that that sense of Christ as the Son of Man inhabiting that perfected church that he revealed to him in all the characteristics that we just explored. So now when we go on to chapter 2 and, and he begins to correct the church, basically he's setting about to, uh, to, to, to reveal to the church all the things that it needs to correct itself throughout the next 2,000 years in order to look like the revelation that John just had of Christ as shining the sun, clothed in, in a white garment to his feet, all that stuff, right? He embodied what the church is meant to look like as the full temple of God. Now let's begin the process of working on this church for the next 2,000 years until it gets to that place where it's stated the bride has made herself ready. Now listen, he's he's commissioned to speak to angels. We just discussed that. And it's it's not without note, brothers, as we come to the end of, of today's uh, study, that when we get to the end of chapter 3, he has concluded dealing with the seven churches. And then what happens in chapter 4 is, can you read that, Brother Jeremy, in chapter 4? Verse 1. Yeah. Verse, verse 1. After mm -hmm. this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Now remember, we were discussing John as the Moses of Jesus, right? Is it not interesting that when we get to the conclusion of John dealing with the seven churches, the impression that we're left with is what? It's the Laodicean church. And, and really what you see is John being called up to a mountain. And, and the last thing that's left with us is John's up in the mountain or called up into heaven. But what's left down on the earth is a Laodicean church. That's the last church he's dealing with. That's the same thing that happened with Moses. He's up on the mountain with God initially on Sinai. And he's about to, to have all these glorious things revealed to him. But the truth of the matter is, is while he's been away, the last thing that's, that we're left with while Moses is up on the mountain is a bunch of backsliding church members <laughs> of Israel, you know, playing the fool and dancing around the golden calf. Well, it's the same pattern. John leaves the Laodicean church and he's up into the mountain where everything's about to be unfolded to him. And, and in many ways, if you can see it, it's the same pattern only fulfilled all across the world. We will have a church that ends up being like Laodicea, which is where we are right now. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, is that 
many things are being worked out in heaven and we're coming to the conclusion of all things. This is where, and I don't, I mean, I shouldn't even go there, but let me just say this. This is where many preachers have gotten off right here. And they say, John being called up into heaven is the rapture of the church. That's not the rapture of the church. You have to understand it from the proper perspective. That's an uneducated statement. What we're seeing here is, is, is Jesus Christ, Moses being called up into heaven. And what we're being left with is the impression of a church down on the earth playing the fool, mm-hmm. right? right? But 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 the heavenly Moses is going to return, so to speak. Our Lord Jesus Christ will return. That's what right. John sees. Go I ahead wonder, and something. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I just you know I wonder because you know I, how do you come to that conclusion that uh, you know John going to heaven is a type of the rapture. How do you come to that conclusion? You, you get what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. that, that looks sounds more like an opinion or or somebody pushing their opinion in, into the verse. It's not letting scripture interpret scripture. And you know, I remember you know when I first got saved, that was that was it. After that, the church is not in there. You know, the, the church is not spoken about in the Book of Revelations, and mm-hmm. you know, so. I had a hard time buying that, you know, that that was a type of the rapture. So in all of the book of Revelation, the only uh, place where we find the rapture is only in a type, but we don't right. see the actual event. Correct. Right. So it, 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 it was very difficult for me to just embrace that and accept that, um, you know, and obviously it, we see it as a type of Moses going up to the mountain to get information so that he yeah. can relate to his people the whole, the whole, you know, the whole time we know what, what, uh, uh, Israel was doing right. Uh, at the bottom of the mountain, they were right. playing the fool, like you said, and that's exactly yeah. what we see, uh, with the churches. There's, there's all kinds of compromise. They're, they're, they become yeah. spiritually dead. You know, uh, some are, are, are you know, uh, encouraged to keep doing what they're doing and so forth and so on. Uh, the yeah. Church of Philadelphia, that is. Um, but through it all, he knows their works, right? So that's really more fitting um, to what's taking place there than to say that's the rapture. You, you got to give me more than that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, no, it, it, go ahead, brother. Uh, that's a good point. No, as it was in the beginning, so shall be at the end. In the beginning, Moses is taken up for revelation, right, up to the mountain. John is taken up for revelation, and he comes back with correction, right, the Ten Commandments. You know, uh, John comes back down with correction for the seven churches that really uh, fulfilled, uh, not fulfilled, but it takes all of history, right? Yes, yes. so that's why that's why you can look at it you can look at it as you know immediate history being addressed uh in 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 the phrase the thing right the things that are right because the seven churches were actually in existence but we're we're also dealing with with church ages or you know all seven characteristics found in the church as a whole based on the seven churches as they're described from Ephesus to Laodicea that's for a whole nother study but yes but I think what's interesting, when we get to the last two churches, which is the Church of Philadelphia, you have a church that is faithful to Christ, has kept the word of his patience, and is now suffering great persecution and tribulation. 
for which he is saying to them, you are going to be protected by me. But they're contrasted by the final church that our attention is drawn to, which is the Laodicean church. And what we talked about was that when Moses was in the mountain, just before he was about to come back, they rose up to play and danced around the golden calf. And the Bible tells us there, they, they, they went with unabashed, drunken, abandoned, even, even stripping themselves naked and having all kinds of crazy stuff go on, right? That's what it says. They were naked. And, and, and that's what we see Jesus saying about the Laodicean church at the end, right? When he, in, in, let's see, it says here in verse, uh, <clears throat> in verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and uh, white raiment that you might be what? Clothed. And that the shame of what thy nakedness does not appear. It's the same phraseology. John's caught up into heaven. He's witnessing the Lord Jesus Christ, who's about to return. And, and he, we're left with the impression of a Laodicean church, much like Israel in the wilderness, who was dancing around the golden calf and were all naked. Laodicea is described yeah. as the same way, being absolutely unclothed, absolutely blind, absolutely naked. And 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 uh, and no one hearing the voice, right? I stand at the door and knock. This is the uh, trigger point which reveals to us that falling away that 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 Paul talked about, right? Except there come a falling away first. John leaves us with the impression of the final church being in that condition, naked, blind, wretched, and completely falling away. Jesus is no longer in the house; he's standing on the outside, knocking, trying to get in. This is the falling away. And then he's caught up into heaven. And what's about to be revealed to him is the Antichrist, the coming global system, the false prophet, all that stuff he's about to see, and the second coming of the Lord. This is what John saw in Revelation chapter 1. Any closing thoughts, brothers? It's been an incredible yeah. uh, revelation. Oh, a lot That's of information, it. brother. This is uh, this is the meat, right? That that uh, we need to fully understand um, where we've been, where we're at, and where we're going. Um, uh, this is this. You know, we we've been in the talks about getting into the Book of Revelation at this level for over a year, right, brother? And, yeah. Uh, we 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 as we read in Hebrews, you know, as it's it's by God's permission. It's the if God permits, right? Uh, yeah. we're, we're able to to grow and mature um, into this kind of uh, uh, understanding in Scripture only by permission. So the truth, yeah. think about this for a moment, okay? Think about this for a moment, brothers. Just to show you, uh, you know, how bad the thing is in the church with, in regards to uh, the teaching the development of the body of Christ. We've laid a foundation for almost a year, right? To yeah. to begin to get into the book of Revelation and talk yeah. uh, the word at this level. Yeah. You know, so it, again, it's only by God's permission. And this is, you know, where, where we have to be really committed now, really committed to in, in prayer, obviously, seeking the Lord for a direction, but to understand, um, you know, what it is that the Lord is trying to tell us. And, and he is speaking to his children. 
And this is where we really, really have to be committed. Go back and listen to this particular podcast and yesterday's as well um, so that you can understand the book of Revelation. You know, it's a book that's not really taught in churches. Uh, most Christians won't won't even read it, maybe because of fear or they don't understand it, you know, and so forth and so on. But uh, it, it it's, a, it's a book that has to be tackled. You know, you we have to dig into it. Yes. You know, uh, because in it, in it, it's the preparation for the body of Christ and the whole word of God, really. But it's all leading to this, you know, this yes. book, the book of Revelation um, and, 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 and preparation for his coming. So um, I want to just challenge the listener to to really, really uh, dig into the word of God. And, and if you have to listen to this podcast again, do so. Praise yeah. God. I think I don't know if it's the correct word to use, but it's almost like the believer. Many we have to rewire ourselves. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And, and yeah. think this way, to think, and and because you're gonna have to. It's by permission, so now it's there. You have no excuse. We're gonna have to know these things if we want to know how what's gonna happen next. So, you know, all these a lot of the theology that we have, eschatology, you know, um, it just it's just kind of going out the door just to be simply honest with you, you know, to honestly, to be honest with you, it's not, you, you know, a lot of the, the way it was taught, we're beginning to see um, how God intended it. And today was a tremendous study of, uh, we saw the parallel, Moses, John, right? And, and that what a tremendous point at the end, a type of the Laodicean church when Moses came down with John, you know, the last church he speaks about the parallels that they are. I mean, it's it's undeniable. So we encourage you to continue, not just to hear, but also, as, as we're saying, seek the Lord and God will give understanding to the wise. Those who are being made pure, their garments are being made white. Those that are being tried are to those whom the understanding will come. That's what it is. The uh, in the beginning we spoke, but Marty spoke about the quality of surrender, the reading, the hearing, and the keeping. That's the quality of surrender that it's going to take in this hour. May the Lord help us. May the Lord yeah. help us to to surrender to Him and draw us close to Him. We pray you've been blessed, and uh, you join us tomorrow as we continue to study the book of Revelation as the Lord allows us to do it. Um, meanwhile, we pray the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, and as always, keep looking up.